Welcome everyone to How Winners Win. I am Daniel Blue. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Kitas Spears, a.k.a. Haiki. What up, winners? Kitas, should they make July 4th on a Friday or Monday, like mm-hmm. all the time? Yeah, we were just talking about that. Just pick a designated first Monday or first Friday of July. Would be just chef's kiss. Yeah, like if they measured American employee productivity today, like it's got to be so dog shit. First of all, let's talk about how this one ended up on a Tuesday and we were all expected to work on a Monday after a weekend. That was weird. Yeah. Like what a weird ass way to make 4th of July happen. And we all were off yesterday and here we are right back at it today. Yeah. I woke up this morning. I feel lethargic, hungover, and I did not drink one, one sip. I literally was (laughs) sipping electrolytes while everyone else was getting fucked up. Right. So like I had no alcohol. I just didn't go to bed till midnight, you know? So there you go. Gosh, I'm getting old. Boomer, boomer. Definitely boomer. He said 12 o'clock. He's like, I'm just so hungover. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For reals. For reals. Well, winners, I hope you guys are having a much better day than I am feeling the blues after uh, July 4th, but uh, grateful to be an American. Grateful that uh, we had some good times last night. I hope you guys had some amazing times with your friends and family. Chances are you're listening to this shortly after July 4th. So if you've never t- tuned into the show, how winners win, the whole goal, goal Kita and I want to help you guys win in your personal lives, your financial lives, your entrepreneurial lives. We just want to help you guys win. And we really, really appreciate your guys' support. So the more you can share this show and uh, talk about it with your friends and family and uh, share it on social media, the the more it, uh, it makes Kita and I just go, 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 because we love giving back to you guys. So speaking of go, 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 we've got a guest on the show. I was asking asking her, I was like, Hey, how do you want to be introduced? Just because she's a friend of mine. She helped me write my very first book. Right. And I I think there's a lot to be said to that, right? You go to the airport, you're grabbing some munchies, right. To, to get on the, the airplane and you probably just check out the books there, right? Like there's just books everywhere, right? Like you probably have memories of going to the library as a kid or Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble is underrated. Dude, the book fair back in the day. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really, really solid. Scholastic book fair. Shout out to the Scholastic. Yeah. So the point I'm trying to drive home winners is writing your own book is super damn cool. And obviously I am biased, but it's something that no one can take away from me. And maybe right now you have an expertise in your business or like a really cool life story. The person we're bringing on today, she's helped so many people write their own books. Uh, so I was asking Hillary, I was like, Hey, how do I introduce you? Just because like, you're a really good friend of mine. I don't want to fuck up this intro. She goes on to say, call me she Hulk queen of the world and kicker of asses. So we've got Hillary. She owns a publishing company. She's an editor. She's just absolutely one of my favorite human beings. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> did I get that intro right? Yes, you totally did. We got we to gotta give ourselves these titles, though, because it is a, truly an empowerment exercise, you know? So you get to own those things. Like, what would you guys call yourselves? And boomers guy in the room. Yeah, I see. I'm going with the. Uh, I hear the word boomer so often. My 14 year old daughter calls me that. Like she's just ingrained <laughs> it in my head, right? So I just kind of f- feed off of her now. So, um, but enough about us. Let's, let's talk about you, Hillary. So you've helped write a lot of successful books, and a lot of successful people go to you. Like you're one of the authorities in the space of writing books, right? So 
where where did this kind of start from? Were you always somebody that was like a bookworm, always in the library while your friends were like playing sports and you were a nerd? Like kind of just talk to us about, you know, your your kind of your childhood and where it kind of fell into play. I have zero athletic ability. Actually, I take that back. I have a weirdly unpredictable super athletic ability. Okay. So it's things like I'll get a three strikes in a row and I'll have no idea why, or I'll hit like almost a hole in one and I'll have no idea why. And I can't replicate it. Right. So athleticism was my sister's gig, my older sister. My gig was vacuuming up all the stories I could possibly put in my face. And my mom would take us to the library Back in the day when, you know, you went outside, right? We would go outside, we'd walk to the library. It was probably like, I don't know, six blocks away. And I kid you not, a stack of books, you know, this high, we didn't have much money. So mom just said, you can have as many books as you want. Don't don't worry about it. We'll bring them back. And I could not get enough of these books. I was such a bookworm. It didn't fit in. Um, I was a very ugly child until sophomore year. I was a very just all, it looked like God took a box of parts and just threw them at my face and went, let's see where these, <laughs> let's see where these fit. I didn't, um, you know, I wasn't one of the popular ones. Uh, I was kind of theater geeky as well. So like nobody, you know, wants to date that. Right. So it was, uh, <laughs> It was a tough upbringing, but I wrote my first book when I was, I think it was like four or six years old, and it was called uh, The Potato Chip Gets Married. I illustrated it as well. So I, I have always been just drawn to story, always drawn to story. I worked at the, say worked, I was a feature editor of the high school newspaper, and um, I would like, you know, seek out all of these intriguing stories behind the scenes that nobody had ideas of, right? And then reveal them. It was just a huge, you know, thing. Um, and, and that just bled over into my personal life where I continued writing. If I do not write every day or edit or have some sort of application in that area, I will literally die. That's, it's almost like, you know, having to hook myself up to an oxygen machine, I either write um, or I die. That that that's it. So, I was talking with my mom about the advent of AI, which I want to get into a little bit later. And and we were like, you just kind of don't understand unless you're built that way, unless you're like so compelled to create stories and get them out in the world. So that continued on. I was just writing on my own. I've written two books, um, one self-published, one through a small publisher, which. I used before I started my publishing house. And then I was always editing friends books, you know, as I was, um, as I was an adult, I would have people say, Hey, you love doing this. Or, you know, you put out a book, can you give my book a whirl? And even uh, as a terrible executive assistant, my bosses would be like, Hey, can you edit this? And can you do this? One boss handed me uh, a book of speeches that the high school where his daughter son went to and said, you know, here's all this, these speeches. We I want you to edit this. And this is just part of your job. This is like your salary. And I expect you to take it home and, and do it. And I was like, okay, I'm a people pleaser. I'll do that. But it just, 
it it grew from there. And then when I got sick and I couldn't work outside the home. So I'm what you call a chicken entrepreneur. Okay. Meaning that I did not choose this. Okay. It chose me because God smacked me upside the head and said, I have been telling you what you need to do. And I said, well, I don't really want to listen to you. And I operate out of fear. I'm just going to go to work until um, I got MS. So then there was no choice. But I had young kids. We, I had, you know, a portion of the income coming in. I had to generate. I couldn't skip a beat. And we didn't. We didn't skip a beat at all. It was, um, I hit the ground running on January 1st, 2015. I wrote 250 emails to people, at least, that I had met or encountered. And then it grew into that in 2016. It was all in on books. And I moved away from any other marketing or copywriting or things of that nature. So it's, you know, combining that early love of childhood writing and reading into this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's a long story. No, <laughs> I'm really glad that you brought that up because, you know, going back to when you were younger, visiting the library, like you told me, like everyone has a memory of going to the library. I'm, I was thankful enough to where my library was walking distance from my house. And I have tons of memories of me and my dad walking to the library and he having to carry a backpack full of books back home because I, like you, was checking everything out. And I was always drawn to like adventure stories and, you know, going out and seeing the world, especially like when they made kids series books like series of unfortunate events and treehouse you know like all these books that kids can consume and go from a to z and go anywhere in the world and go on an adventure that's what i was drawn to and i love the, the adventure and humor what type of stories you know for someone who ends up making a living off of books what drew you in as a kid what type of were you fantasy were you nonfiction? were you watching reading biographies i'm curious to know what actually drew you in and what kind of gave you that bug well, I had a little mystery streak for a while with Nancy Drew. Uh, my sister had all the books and I would take all her books. And then <clears throat> it was really heavily into, I don't know, I guess kind of old school. Like Charlotte's Web is one of my favorites, bringing you into these worlds, these these imaginations. The descriptions were delicious. And that is where I get joy you know, of, of looking at things through a different lens, different textures, different scents. By the way, the uh, sense of smell is the least used sense in books when describing, just an FYI, so make sure you drop that in there. That will differentiate you. Um, but anything that pulled me in, I could see it. Laura Ingalls Wilder, I just reread every single one of those books when COVID hit. And I did it. <laughs> I did it because I was like, if Laura can survive, you know, this <laughs> diphtheria and whatever else, like we can do this, you know. So stories about families. Um, as I got older, I loved mysteries. Um, I read a lot of I read of the Flowers in the Attic series. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one, but it was like and, and a lot of Stephen King. So my grandpa introduced me to Stephen King. He was a reader and I would go over to his house and I'd be like, grandpa, what are you reading? Clan of the Cave Bears, that whole series. Um, and he would always say, when I'm done reading this book, you can read it. So um, I watched him read it up a 
the cabin we would always rent out this resort and i watched him read it and i was like hey when you're done can i read that i know now i was actually pretty young for him to hand that book over to like maybe i was like 11 or something but i was in and that's it and if you could see across from me i have a whole big bookshelf of stephen king um i was lucky enough to see him speak in person and I won like a book lottery, which isn't as cool as it sounds because it just basically says, hey, you won the chance to buy this. Do you want to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's pretty prestigious, right? Yeah. Well, it was assigned. It was actually it's actually signed. So I have um, I think I have two copies of uh, two of his books that are signed, actually signed by him. But it's the love of storytelling that keeps me going. And then that has morphed into um i am a sucker for helping people you know it's it's one of those weird things where you go but it feels so good to help somebody it feels selfish you know but that just happens to be the side effect of doing it i mean you want to help empower people to find their voices and especially since i got sick um i love helping helping people figure out well how do we do this what does this look like? How do we how do we adapt to this? What is your special? I'm going to sound like uh, who was it who said that? My special purpose. Oh, I'm going to sound like the jerk, Steve um, Steve Martin, right? His special purpose. <laughs> and I'm dating myself here. There's going to be like a like a segment of your listeners who are going to be like, I get that, and other people will be like, What? What are you talking about? Rent the freaking movie. You'll laugh your ass off. That's all I can say. The jerk by Steve Martin, but he has a special purpose, and so I like to hone in on people's special purposes and help them bring that out into the world. So it's not just so much as like you know, tell your story. What does your story mean? What's the purpose behind it? How are you empowering it and thereby empowering others? What can you do with it? How does it tie into different actions that you're taking? Um, that's really where I live and breathe now. And I'm incredibly fortunate to work with some of the most inspirational people you've ever met in your life. Yeah, I think it really is a superpower for you to be able to help somebody take an idea because that's all it was for me, right? When I started working with you is I just had this idea. And then the end result was a book that a lot of people have got their hands on, right? I never in a million years would have thought that I would be an author. And that is thanks to you. And I'm not the only one that you've helped, right? So I don't want to gloss over this because you said something that I want to kind of uncover. So talk to us about what your life looked like before you got sick. And then what was kind of like a real low moment when you got sick and then how did you get out you know uh, get out from under that valley and, and and reach that mountain mountaintop so i'm still climbing i just want to make that aren't clear. we all we're all still climbing right we may have reached um, particular peaks but there's always uh further that we can go before i got sick um i was an anxious uh insecure, fearful person. I was untrustworthy, although I would tell you like I can go through the motions of what I suspect trusting people looks like and having a real relationship looks like. I had two marriages prior to that. Um, the first was just we were so young. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. You want to get married? You want to go to the bar? 
Which one? What do you want to do? Let's get married. All right, cool. And the second I call my marriage hangover because I have no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I also tolerated a lot of crap. Um, so my childhood was pretty crappy. It was pretty crappy. There was abandonment um, from both parents. My father, I don't speak to today. He's kind of lost it. He's he's far away in his own mind, and it's a manipulative thing. And I just am not going there because I don't do toxicity. I actually don't even know how to participate. If somebody came up to me and insulted me, I'd be like, "Thank you, I appreciate that." Um, go in peace. Like I don't, <laughs> I just, I don't even know how to answer to things like that because it doesn't serve me, right? But it didn't used to be that way. I was very rageful. Um, I did not. I was very neglected. I did not have attention as a child. Um, we moved, I want to say, like, between, I don't know, 15 and 17 times by the time I was 18 years old. It was very unsettling. I always had to meet new people. Uh, we never had any money. Uh, we were thrust into this this just tragic, like, shattering of the family and everybody because there was such poverty. Poverty to the point we didn't have electricity sometimes. We had to put our food out in, like, um, snow on the balcony. So I tell you all this to lay the foundation. And my dad was abusive, okay? So to lay the foundation of what does that mean to grow up like this and what does that do to you? You are, you are irrationally afraid of conflict. You are irrationally afraid of not pleasing. Um, your core confidence in yourself doesn't exist, right? So I thought I just need to kind of go through the motions of, uh, I didn't even know what that meant, to be happy. And I had a lot of work to do. But that childhood set me up for sickness because when you do not kind of cleanse or flush yourself of all of this toxicity that lives in your body, the constant cortisol dumping of panic attacks. I started having panic attacks when I was 12. When you carry all this around and then it goes with you in adulthood where you have very toxic relationships with family members, with friends, with spouses, with whatever, because you don't know what you're doing. Okay. My body finally broke. But prior to that, I had gone back to school. I got a job at a regional furniture company, um, working in marketing departments, and I was writing. I was writing blogs for them. I was writing about textures. I was writing, you know, blogs had just kind of come into popularity and Facebook was fairly new. So it was pretty cool to say my job is working on Facebook. And now people are like, oh, my God, I hate that job. <laughs> but back <laughs> then, it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. And I, and it was like 10 minutes away from my house. I could take back roads to get there. And I thought I had made it. And I didn't have like this, this huge, you know, dream. I just wanted something solid. I wanted to do what I loved. And I wanted this perpetual forever home. And then I got sick with the worst exacerbation of what we now know is MS. Um, it came on gradually. I remember reading because my feet started swelling and I was like, this is really weird. I think I'm just getting old or I'm eating too much salt or whatever. 
And I was kind of looking stuff up and I stumbled upon MS and they said that people who have MS, like prior to onset, experience um, their limbs falling asleep more. So my feet started falling asleep more and I was like, okay, in addition to them swelling, this is weird. I had also had uh, an exacerbation unbeknownst to me, which did not result in a lesion like two years prior to that when we were out in sweltering heat and I lost the ability to like be upright. I was dizzy and whatever. This exacerbation two years after that, when I worked at the furniture company, um, that, that was it. I couldn't walk down the hall without holding on to someone else. They were so sweet. They brought up this little mini recl- recliner and put it in my, and put it in my cube so I could type, but it wasn't enough. I was too ill. And eventually I took short-term disability. And then, um, because all insurance companies pretty much suck, they denied me long-term disability and they said, you know, if you had gone to the doctor 10 days later, you would have gotten this long-term disability. But because you started, this was your start date and this was like the vetting date when you were eligible for long-term disability, you missed the window and um, we're not going to cover you. And your short-term disability is going to dry up and you're going to be done. And I had a, a wonderful conversation with the HR director at the time who who put herself on the line to help me and say, you better start planning. You should probably start looking. And she wasn't um, advised to even say those things. But she didn't want me to wake up and be like, hey, this is the decision and you, you haven't made any plans. So... Um, January 1st, 2015, we were in the hole. I mean, my husband, I'm trying to think what he was doing at the time. I think he was firefighting and, uh, going to school potentially because, uh, he's an army veteran. So, um, I had no choice, you know, but I was fearful. And then, so what I didn't realize was that when everything is taken away from you, so I was not diagnosed. They diagnosed me with transverse myelitis. First of all, I did not get my MS diagnosis um, until like a year and a half ago, because you have to have two lesions over space and time, meaning I can't even have, um, if I had two lesions at onset, they would go, nope, that's not good. That's one exacerbation. So you have to have lesions over space and time that cause different symptoms in your body right so first would be like okay i have a lesion in my spine now for instance uh, a couple of years ago 18 months ago they found a lesion in my brain which is very typical of ms they've also seen like thinning of um optic nerves and then my bladder just does this all day long do you want to pee do you want to pee right now should we pee let's pee so that's a new (laughs) that's called a that's a um neuropathy in your bladder and that is very common and it can be worse so i'm very thankful to only have that and then of course i walk like a drunk person half the time and have massive fatigue and whatever else but i had to have these things happen i had to have my body break because i wasn't having fulfilling relationships even with my fiance at the time he's not my husband i didn't trust him and not because he's not a wonderful person, because I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't. I, I had no idea. All I could do was look at you and I could say, oh, you appear to be trusting somebody. I guess that's how we do it. I guess I'll do it this way. But I didn't have the belief. So, for instance, you know, I planned everything and I would just say, well, 
um, I got to pick my kids up at school. You know, and my fiance, Deacon at the time would say, I'll get them, I'll get them, don't worry about it. And in my mind, I would go, okay, he said he's going to get them. But when he doesn't get them, then how do I rearrange my day so I can do it because he's not going to follow through. And it's not anything on him. It's because nobody ever followed through. Nobody ever followed through in my life. They just kept coming back. Like with this jab and this jab and this jab. So MS forced me to say, you know what? I have no choice but to trust you. And uh, my dogs might start barking because somebody's delivering something. Here we go. Right on cue. Um, you gotta love dogs. I got three of those assholes. So. <laughs> I'm over here, so we, we we're very familiar with the dog talk. Oh yeah, that's why you come to the office. Right, exactly why I come to the office. There's no way I could work from home all day every day. I don't know how you do it, dude. The coffee shop is in my new buddy. I like going to the coffee shop, get out the house, yeah. get some, and it's just a little distraction. Yeah. It's you, my jam. you do the same thing, Roland. Yeah, it's my jam. Oh my God, a little bit there. But thank you, thank you. I know, thank you, thank you. Sorry, thank you. Sorry, you guys, you have terrible manners, really. Right? Terrible manners. <laughs> oh, Fulbert, I didn't die. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> Say hi, Fulbert. Okay. Sorry about that. You'll have a lot of cutting to do yeah. in that. These are my buddies. They're my my kids are all flown and grown, so I have I have dogs and cats and whatever. But in any regard, uh, so it's what needed to happen um, to actually trust because I didn't have a choice. I was sleeping sixteen hours a day. I wasn't diagnosed initially with transverse myelitis, um, which is more of an episodic disease. It usually happens once, and then you recover, and they go, "Oh, that was weird." When it happens more often, they go, then this is MS presenting, right? But for five months, they didn't know what was the matter with me. They didn't know if I had a spinal tumor. They didn't know. To your point, Daniel, it was extremely dark. I had people surrounding me. I had people loving on me. Um, Some people were angry, like my kids were angry that I didn't let them in to what actually was going on and my fears. But of course, I'm a mom. I'm going to protect them, right? My fiance, now husband, was angry. And of course he should be. Everybody has to have their feelings. Not angry at you. Angry, like, it's, you know, angry at the dirt, right? And that's from Mommy Dearest when she's like, I'm not, she's scrubbing a dirt ring and she goes, I'm not angry at you, I'm angry at the dirt. And so we'd always say that in my house and my son would go, I'm angry at the dirt right now. And I'd go, that's okay. You can be angry at the dirt right now. But when we found out it was um, this thing, and now I also have fibromyalgia, which is a systemic um, nerve disease. And it's all chronically related. And it all has to do with stress. It all has to do with how you treated your body. I had an eating disorder for decades. I was down to 93 pounds. I had to uh, go to an outpatient treatment uh, six times. I had six appointments, so I went twice a week, and I had three appointments each time. Um, and so they said, you know, we're not, we will only not do inpatient if you come this many times a week. 
And I said, well, who's inpatient here? And they listed like ages of girls that were not that much older than my children. And I went, you have got to get your shit together. You're not going to go sit with these adolescent girls as the mother of three children. Get your shit together and eat. And so um, I started eating and I would just say, okay, well, I'm afraid to eat this thing. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to worry about what happens later. And that has become kind of a mantra where I just go, I'm going to do it. I'm going to worry about what happens later because I don't know if anything's going to happen later, but we'll deal with it if it does. So it was dark times, but coming out into the light because it gave my husband a chance to shine and to show me how much he loves me and to show me what he can do. And I was very afraid because he was uh, just like a super macho, like, let's go hike this mountain. And I was always like scrambling to put my hiking boots on. I'm like, I'm right behind you, you know? And, and then I said, you know, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you're going to leave me. Cause I just basically aged, you know, three decades in front of you in terms of being able to do things and whatever. And he goes, I think it's time I slowed down anyways. So life is very, very different now. Um, I'm incredibly fulfilled. I have a radio show because I asked for it. <laughs> I was like, hey, you guys are starting a radio station. I want to do this. Now I have this radio show that I've we've been on since November of last year. And um, I help people with their books. Last We have 150 books that I've helped with or the team has helped with by this time since 2016 and we probably have like i don't know 13 more in the hopper right now so we always have some uh range of books that we're working on at any given time not counting all the coaching that i do the writing coaching there's a ton of empowerment work that that goes on with that so i'm trying to do like the you know the beginning middle end so that it's all making sense but it was a big fat clusterfuck you know um I didn't know why I even had a voice in the world. I didn't think I mattered. Um, I didn't believe anybody who told me they would stick around. I thought, oh, you're full of shit. You're just going to go. And that's how I measured time. I would say, well, I'm in this relationship. I'm in this friendship, but it's going to end. And there is a level of catastrophizing that still occurs. But you can figure out how to navigate through it. So if you're a catastrophizer and that's a person who goes, here's the worst case scenario, I'm going to go there right now in my head. You can say to yourself, that's not reasonable. That doesn't have anything to do with the future. And you know that you're doing this because that was put in your brain, but it doesn't make it true. So when you acknowledge that, then you can go, oh, all right, well, I'm not going to spend much time thinking about that. I want to touch on something that I think a lot of the winners can relate to is you use the word abandonment and it sounds like at the root that was the cause like a lot of your just not being in the best place mentally right and it seems like you've made leaps and bounds in terms of just coming to peace right I think a lot of people can relate to that my dad abandoned me the person listening to this show that's on the treadmill right now, maybe got, you know, their girlfriend abandoned them or one of their parents, right? Like we all deal with it. So what do you think helped you come to 
terms with abandonment and just uh, really kick abandonment's ass because for a while abandonment was kicking your ass well it was and i actually only got my arms around the forgiveness piece of abandonment this year so i used to pray i'm a very spiritual person i'm not religious um my religion is i love everybody even if i don't agree with you or don't understand or whatever i'm here to love right so i used to pray and i'd say god please let me be able to forgive these people who have just devastated my heart please and i would pray and i would pray i stayed up and watched the shack i don't know if you guys have seen this movie but it is about this man's journey to trying to forgive um this horrific event in his life and i my husband sleeping beside me i went through like a half a box of kleenex trying to cry as quietly as i possibly could and and i repeated what they said in the movie was like you need to say i forgive you insert name here and i did it and i said i forgive you so and so i forgive you so and so over and over and over and over again in the movie they said you might need to say it a thousand times abandonment and living with it and compartmentalizing it has everything to do with forgiveness but it doesn't have to do with this rote repeating there's nothing that your heart can connect to when it comes to that. The step I took to truly understand abandonment was that, and I go to counseling every single week for this now, and other fears and things like that that I have because I'm sick to death of being controlled by anything. I'm sick of it. I'm not saying I'm doing the greatest job, but I am trying, okay? The missing piece is forgiveness. Forgiveness comes from understanding what the other person was going through. And that is really hard because you have to step outside yourself and see yourself almost as a participant in your own life. Um, I think it's the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? or something like that. It's a super old school movie, but the aim of that movie stayed with me. And that is to view your life through a lens as if you're seeing somebody else acting out your role, because then you can detach emotionally and you are an observer. When you can be an observer, then you can see the motivations or the pain behind other people and the reasons that they do thing, things. And that is the missing ingredient. You don't see yourself as a target anymore. You see yourself more as collateral damage. That is huge. That is absolutely huge. There's that element of just being a human. And sometimes we screw that up so badly. And that means that, yes, even we are on the receiving ends of those things. And it also means that, why shouldn't we be? Why shouldn't we be collateral damage sometimes? Who are we to receive that very best treatment from other people when they are just bumbling humans in this life? Whether it's a parent, whether it's a grandparent, whether it's a friend, whoever it happens to be, Everybody is doing their best to be human. And sometimes in cases of crisis, you're going to get hit with them struggling. And so you take yourself out of the line of fire. There's nothing deliberate 
that happens with abandonment in terms of like my dad going, I'm deliberately going to abandon my child today. I'm going to do that. I'm going to walk away because it's their fault. It's never your fault because it actually doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with their emotional limitations. It has to do with their panic. And even they might not be able to come to grips with subconsciously what is driving them to make decisions. So you get in the way, but you're not the intended target. And I am telling you that has been so incredible to learn that. I have spent more time in that counselor's office talking about other people's pain and not my own. I've got a handle on my pain. I can just sit there and rattle off these events happen, this, that, the other thing, whatever. We're not, we're not, I don't think we should be, I don't like to use the word should. It confuses me that we expect the greatest treatment from all people at all times. I'm not talking about malicious treatment. I'm talking about, it confuses me that we don't give people leeway to learn and we say, you know, it's me we're talking about. So you better be perfect and you better not hurt me. And if you do, I'm never going to forgive you. The grace of forgiving people when they make mistakes, even when it grievously hurts your soul, is incredibly liberating. Doesn't have anything to do with you. And when you get to that point, you can say, there's almost nothing to forgive because you didn't do it on purpose. So I'm not gonna carry that around with me. And I am not going to attach your short-term emotional decisions to my long-term self-love. I 100% will not do that because I'm gonna choose to love myself every single day because I am amazing and nothing is going to get in the way of that. And nobody should be in charge of that but me. It is not even fair to ask somebody to be in charge of loving me more than loving myself. That's not fair. So that's been the huge breakthrough this year. It sounds like you've healed a lot to even be talking like this. You know, you know, I've, I've only know a portion of what you've been through. So like, you know, it sounds like you just said it, but I want to explicitly ask like, what's the one thing if you can go back and talk to yourself before the healing that you're like, damn, this really fast tracked what could have been. What would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that yes, we're all special. So no one is okay. One of the reasons that we get hung up on spinning our wheels or not healing is because we think that our situations are so incredibly unique that nobody can possibly understand. You can't reach me. You can't heal me. I'm different. My pain is different. But we isolate ourselves in that way when we do that. The reason that I broke out of this was, yes, sickness, but it was also, I am so tired of my own shit. I was so tired of it. I was so tired of burning down relationships and walking away and abandonment. I would tell myself, it's in you this whole time. 
All you have to do is believe and walk forward. And you can walk forward and be a shaky mess. You can do whatever scares you with your voice shaking, your knees knocking. You you can do those things. Nobody said you had to do it and be, you know, just like eye of the tiger calm. Nobody said that. You You do it. You do it scared. And then you get less scared. And you have to give your brain new information. You're not done when you're injured or abandoned. You're not done. And be very careful of the words that you use that condemn you to a particular reality. Somebody chose to walk away from me. That doesn't make me abandoned. Right? I am not a sickness. I have a sickness. Right? It seems like it's such a like a point a small point to talk about but it feeds our brain even subconsciously and it takes away our power we have everything we need right here to succeed i did not know also that the brain has no it doesn't know the difference between dreams and reality which is why when you dream you take yourself on these marvelous adventures and you don't know the difference when you're flying over manhattan you don't know because in your dream, you're like, oh, we're like flying over Manhattan. This is amazing. One of my dreams, I discovered how to fly. It was awesome. And my daughter was like, I know it's hard for you to walk sometimes. Go ahead and fly. And I would push off. I was in like this old barn and I would push off from these boxes like you do when you're in a swimming pool and you push off from the edge. And I was flying and soaring and my brain didn't know the difference. So I try to live in that dream state and tap into that power yeah i did not know we were going to take this turn and i'm really really glad that that we did because i know there's some people that can really get a lot of value from what you're talking about we all have dealt with being abandoned in some way shape or form and how you explained like collateral damage like i was kind of thinking about when my dad left me when i was 12 years old and you're absolutely right it was not me it was his panic his inability to deal with emotions and i just happened to be in the way but you just hold on to that for so long and then that anger and that resentment. So guys, you know, if if you're dealing with like not forgiving somebody, dealing with resentment, dealing with, you know, abandonment, like replay what Hillary just talked about a couple of times because what she talked about is some really deep stuff. And uh, I I really appreciate you being vulnerable, Hillary, and, and sharing this with our audience because that was that was really awesome to to hear the way that you explained it. And it shouldn't surprise me. You're a freaking writer. So of course you're going to use all these adjectives and storytelling and analogies and it just, it makes sense. But you can just tell there's been a lot of healing, a lot of shadow work being done, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's very apparent. You could hear how lightly you're able to talk about stuff that, you know, I know for a fact a couple of years ago would have been more difficult to talk about because we all have our own things that is difficult right now that we don't even want to talk about. So to see someone like you be able to, know that how far you've come or see where you're at today it's like wow it's really it's empowering it is empowering we have because we all have that empowerment inside us and we can only let it out when we speak to ourselves in a certain way if you're hung up on not forgiving it is because you are receiving a benefit from that mindset whatever that happens to be if that's self-identification that you're a victim if it is because you are fearful the way the person thinks about you has something to do 
with you. So there's a change that potentially needs to be made, but we make everything about ourselves and, and we're self-centered beings. So this is a constant battle. It is only when we step back and we see ourselves collectively, right? We're In my mind, religion is like we're one giant body in the universe. So maybe like you're a finger or you're a toe or you're a spleen or you're a something, right? But collectively, all of us souls make up the body, right? And so we're not just, but then we're singular as well. And that singularness of being a single person, that's where we get messed up. Expectations are where we get messed up. Who are we to think that we deserve a good childhood? What is a good childhood even? What does that even mean? What's the definition of that, right? So all of these different ways, but just like you got to get out of your own way, you know, and and, and if you can't get out of your own way, like what are you getting from it? Yeah. Amen. So Hillary, going back to your, your zone of genius, the people listening to this show, that have not wrote a book before, why should they become an author? Why should they write a book? Well, it's interesting. And in this conversation, like took such a twist. <laughs> I was trying to like re-screw my head back on, but it has everything to do with how you want to be perceived in the world. It has everything and you control that narrative, right? It has everything to do with your legacy and staying behind and your words staying behind and your purpose, right? So in terms of like the majority of people that I work with are business owners, entrepreneurs in uh, various industries. And we do a sprinkling of fiction, which is just simply delightful, by the way. But, um, you know, the majority of people tell their stories and they intertwine their business objectives, be it a course or whatever. And they all, we all kind of have the same story, like you were saying, you know, we're all, we're all kind of working out stuff. You work that out on the page. It's incredibly therapeutic to tell your story, even the parts that don't make it onto the page. Um, you want to tell your story and you want to tie it into, if I can get a little markety here, um, higher ticket price sales item because the advent of digital publishing changed everything. Now, anybody can publish a book but anybody can publish a book. And some people will come to the table and be like, hey, I've got this super shitty book and I want to go ahead and publish it. And I'm like, oh, you are the house in the neighborhood that doesn't mow the lawn, okay? <laughs> we have to elevate, this is an art. We have to elevate this art. It's our responsibility to do that. So there's all kinds of different reasons that you do that, but you want to do it well. You want to make sure your book um, leaves a positive imprint, doesn't damage your brand. You tie it into that higher ticket priced item so you can accomplish different things that will pay you back plus your investment. So you might speak, you might um, appear on podcasts, you might um, sell bulk orders of your book and buddy up with like... Um, an affiliate industry, for instance, like um, realtors and people working in the mortgage industry, right? If you're in the mortgage industry and you wrote a book and you're doing like some life coaching along the way, whatever, it is a natural attachment to work with a realtor and you guys kind of piggyback and help each other sell, right? So there's all there's all different kinds of reasons. There's credibility. Um, depending on how your book performs, you can charge more for your services. 
Um, a lot of people are using their books for lead gen magnets, but from a personal perspective, there is something in just incredibly, I keep using the word empowering. I think that's the word of the day. Um, there's something incredibly empowering in unleashing your story and telling it and owning it too. So the other thing is that you beat people to the punch. The people might be like, you know what? I think this, that, and the other thing about this person. And then you go, I, I don't really care what you think. I'm just going to put my, I'm going to put it out. And th this is going to be my official story right here. The ownership of the story too. So a lot of people will go, well, I have an amazing story, but other people were in it. And I'm worried about using their names. And I'm worried about, you know, derogatory. Uh, they'll feel like it's a derogatory thing and I'll get in trouble or whatever. And there's two schools of thought on that. One, people should have behaved better, right? And that's an old uh, spin on a Dorothy Parker quote, I believe, in proper attribution at all points, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> and two, your story is your story and you have a right to tell it. You know, when we are not able to tell our stories, we do get a little re-victimized. And that is not good. Um, you can tell your story in a way that's more event oriented. This happened, then this happened, then this happened versus that bitch did this awful thing and I threw her under the bus. Right. So there's different ways to control that narrative. It's, in, it's an incredible gift to give yourself. Yeah. And then kids, they give the world. Right. And it's <laughs> never can be taken away from you. So it's your story. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it definitely is life changing. And, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that, uh, I was able to work with you. There's no one else that uh, could have kicked my ass the way that you did and helped me get my thoughts out in the world. So uh, really, really grateful to uh, have you help me with, with that book. And I know you're just going to keep helping more and more people. So this is, you know, guys, my personal plug for, for Hillary. If you're thinking about writing a book, you know, I had this idea of writing a book would be so hard and I just had an idea, but I'm like, man, am I going to have to literally grab a piece of paper and pen and just, I, I envision writing it out on a piece of paper and you know Kita when you're like in school you wrote it out and you're like that's shit so then you grab the paper and like you just scrunch you know just scrumble it up in a ball and then you throw it in the trash can like I envision like that happening all night all night all night and that's the last thing that happened Hillary made it super super seamless she helped literally take the words out of my brain and make it um to where people would actually read the book and, and take action on it, right? Like we've gotten sales. We've helped people with their retirement accounts off of the book. You know, we use it for legion, for credibility. It's uh, it's something that can't be taken away from us. So winners, I think a key to winning in life is having a brand and having a brand also involves a book. And so mm -hmm. something to, to think about guys and uh, there's no one else I would, uh, you know, reference when it comes to someone to help you publish edit a book write a book then uh, our good friend hillary thank you that's that i don't even know what to do with compliments and such a beautiful compliment um i'm a master deflector <laughs> <laughs> i like that i'll take that one <laughs> but thank you. That means a lot. And um, I loved working with you. And I knew you had it in you. It's a matter of like, sometimes that procrastination sets in. It's never, we never procrastinate because we don't want to do the work. I think we procrastinate on work we do want to do because it is so meaningful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we, and we, we, we want to show up a certain way and we go, but I can't show up that way because I don't have enough belief in myself yet or in my abilities yet you know, and so um, getting 
getting to that point and understanding, you know, the main motivation behind that procrastination has a lot to do with um, what you feel you deserve, you know, and sometimes that can feed into like, how are we managing our lives right now? If my, if I'm, if my life is a shit show right now, I might go, oh, wow, I have all these great opportunities on the horizon, but I can't do anything right right now. I can't keep up. I'm doing it. What's the point? What's the point? I'm failing all over the place. I'm not going to do this either. Right. So it's, it's interesting, but you initially, like the second I talked to you, I thought it was just fascinating your spin on the whole thing, you know, because I have worked with financial advisors, a lot of financial advisors, and none of them brought to the table what you did, your specialty. And I didn't even know you know, the the opportunities within self-retirement. I had no idea of that. I was just like, oh, you know, my familiarization was like, they're going to bring in somebody at a company. They'll talk to you. They'll say, you know, look at this column, choose one. Or they'll say, uh, this is the only thing you can do. And you go, oh, sounds good to me. I have zero understanding of what you're saying. Let me go ahead and sign. And then you just do it. And then you go to work and you look at your check and you go, looks good but i have no frame of reference okay yeah. and you <laughs> and that happens for 30 years and so you don't understand the power of being able to tap into um your own money yeah you don't understand the rules you know and not it's kind of interesting it's kind of like our bodies like we own parts of our bodies you know as the owner of a spleen as the owner of a liver should we not understand those functions right. but we but we don't and as the owner of your money should you not understand laws and functions but we don't and it's just crazy because we'll just like bop around and be like yeah everything's going okay i think not really sure, but yeah, you know, and we don't, we don't take these extra steps to educate ourselves. So your book is fascinating in that way. I, uh, again, appreciate all of your help. You know what, Keita, I swear in a different world, Hillary could have been like a hip hop artist. She's been dropping bars. She's been dropping yeah. bars. She, all the time. She, one thing you said, I never even heard that quote. You're like, you know, we're all special but no one is special. Mm -hmm. I was like, damn, that's, Bars. that's deep. That is deep. Bars. That is deep. So I got one question before we get up out of here. Cause I feel it'd like be a disservice not to bring up this AI since now chat GPT right. is like taken over. And you brought up a great point of saying that, you know, literature and, you know, writing a book is, is, is a form of art and you need to, sometimes you bring a sketch work and you elevate it to be a masterful painting. And, I find that when we put it broken down like that, I'm like, I don't trust a robot to paint a Mona Lisa or a Monet, you know, and mm -hmm. now, but there is a lot of folks nowadays, they're saying, oh, you know, this is an AI-able job is, you know, editing a book. What's yeah. your take on, or what's your thought on this whole AI wave um, in this space of, you know, editing? Because it's not just editing, you're pulling things out of people too. So I just want to know what your thought was. Well, there's so many different facets to editing and i want to focus on editing versus writing first ai is a gatherer it can only gather what is in front of it and what it recognizes as being in front of it it cannot discern accuracy it cannot discern whether there are copyright issues 
um, for sharing particular um, chunks or segments. It obviously doesn't have any emotional capacities. Um, and I wrote an article um, for Entrepreneur on this, and it was about the ins and outs of understanding AI. AI is a tool, just like Grammarly. So when I use Grammarly, and I use Grammarly as a catch-all, I don't use Grammarly because I don't understand the English language or rules. I use Grammarly to help me have a deeper perspective into things that my brain, our brains are always going, I'm going to add this element or I'm going to take it away so it makes sense. Our brains are constantly looking for ways to make connections or sense, which is why you don't want to prove your own work. Because your brain will help you. It's always helping you. So you use tools that help you. But that doesn't mean that we blanket accept everything that these tools are saying. So, for instance, Grammarly will say, hey, um, you know, you you might want to put a, a comma here. And I'll go, well, I'm not going to put a comma there because that doesn't make any sense. And they they're, they're taking things out of context. They don't have an emotional context. So you have to understand what you're doing and what the rules are before you use the tools. When it comes to AI, and I like the idea, the analogy that you use of creating, recreating the Mona Lisa. Now, if we recreated the Mona Lisa using uh, robotic algorithms and things of that nature, feasting our eyes upon it would not be as exhilarating. Because we are taking those components and and recreating them. That's not to say that there's not a place for these tools because there is. So AI, for instance, is awesome at creating a book outline. Okay. It is awesome at doing that. It is not awesome at dialogue. Hmm. Okay. Um, it is awesome at being very kind of like... Um, correct i guess we'll say in in many capacities it is not awesome at identifying what style you're using are you using chicago manual style are you using ap style it is not awesome at that right for various and and you use different styles according to various mediums it is not awesome at having a heart it is not awesome at deeper intellectual thinking so AI and people who consider, and I'm going to piss people off and I'll tell you what, I don't care, okay? AI, for people who want to consider themselves writers because they use AI, that's your participation trophy right there, okay? In this world of like brutal, alpha, beast, take away the participation trophy. I totally jumbled that word. Keep it in. It's awesome. <laughs> and people are saying, don't give those trophies out and make the kids work and, and expose them to loss and expose them to trying harder. The same fucking thing applies here. Okay. It doesn't turn you into a writer. It turns you into, if you're really good at it, you're an excellent navigator of a system that performs tasks for you. But make no mistake, because you can't understand what it feels like to be something if you haven't been that thing, you know? And I'm not saying that to bring people down who are using AI because there is a function for it. You can complete your books with it, but you better damn well go back and put that human element in it. 
Otherwise, it is reading like the back of a cereal box, stereo instructions, whatever. And I'm telling you what, I am falling asleep. I'm also seeing a lot of repetition. A lot of this is a great way to, this is a great way to. Well, you better have a human being go on and scoop through there and make sure that repetition isn't there. You know, um, you lose style. Do we all just want to sound the same? You know, when I'm editing, I don't want my voice coming out of your mouth. I want you to sound like you. I want you to sound like you when you're speaking, when you're writing an email, when you're texting, when whatever it is, when you're doing a podcast, this is that brand congruency. So I think AI is going to do this in terms of writing. And people will go, oh, okay. Well, even though I know how to use Grammarly, that doesn't make me an editor. There will be that realization. And I think people will come back to beauty and art and not understanding. I mean, there's a fascination with somebody who completes a Rubik's Cube, for instance, right? That's fascinating because their brain works in different ways. They're probably really good chess players. That's fascinating. I can't do that. It's not fascinating if I can program a machine to do that. Yeah. So we're never going to get away from art. We're never going to get away from what makes us unique and different. What is going to happen is these technologies will arise. They're likely created by people who see a need and potentially people who can't do what they're programming this thing to do. So, we're going to have these things pop up and it doesn't change anything. I'm not interested in working with the author who wants to just write everything by AI and doesn't want to go through it again and just wants to hand it to me because even though we are a publishing house, we don't work with everybody. We vet every single proposal that comes across the desk. And if it doesn't fit the mission of leaving the reader better than they found you it doesn't work for us and when you use ai it wholeheartedly 100 percent ai that doesn't work for us i'm not promoting that yeah. i'll promote it as a tool it makes makes a lot of sense they can't replace you hillary you're, you're too big of a badass no computer can uh can replace you so um, can't replace anybody though yeah. they can't, and they and and let's not have that be the goal Mm-hmm. Because that diversity and how we think, that's why this world is so amazing. So let's not be so dependent yeah. on that. Let's not be afraid of the hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, when you wake up and you go, I worked really hard at that. My God, and I did it and it feels so good. You have earned that. Yeah. No one can take that from you. Mic drop right there, guys. I just love, uh, you're just really one of the most genuine people I, I know, Hillary. And I'm not saying that just because I call you my friend. So I really appreciate you pouring into the audience. And, and I know the the winners, they got uh, a lot of good nuggets, oh, yeah. a lot of good stuff from you. So if they want to learn more about what you got cooking, what you are about, where can they learn more about you? Um, you can probably find me on social media is the best way. You can just find me on Facebook or you can find me at bookmarkpub.com and use the get in touch um, contact sheet. And are you under, is it Hillary uh, Jastrom or is it Hillary Lorne? 
It is Hillary Lauren Jastrom. Okay, so Hillary Lauren Jastrom. We'll put that in the show notes, guys. Go follow her on Facebook. Um, your website. Give us that one more time, please. Bookmarkpub.com bookmarkpub.com we will put that in the show notes as well winners share this episode with a, a friend a family member yes she talks a lot about the books and and all of that type of um you know arena but damn you dropped a lot of value good on, stuff on, on was not about books yeah <laughs> on personal development and, and abandonment i didn't think that we would be talking about that but i am so glad we went down Thankful that rab did. that rabbit hole so hillary thank you so much for your time and uh it's been amazing to have you on on the show here today well, thank you so much, you guys. I'm just honored to be here. I want to drop one more thing. The radio show is on sandcastleradio.org every Thursdays at noon central. And I interview authors and talk about their processes and their stories behind it. So if you want stories of inspirational people, that's where that's where you'll find more. Sweet. Yes. If you want to hear her on the radio definitely mm -hmm. go uh hit her up you, they can just be like in their their car with like their iphone right just tuned in yeah i love yep. it well, an app to sandcastle radio app check that out and you were on the show yeah that was so, you know, we had a lot of fun that was fun <laughs> so we'll put the sandcastle uh stuff in the show notes as well winners so a lot of goodies in the show notes winners thank you for tuning in and giving us your time we do our best to not disappoint we hope you guys have a great week and we will catch you guys next week peace